dulcet tones of Herb Alpern, the Tijuana Brass, herald another episode of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Monday edition of the podcast, as he is on most Mondays, is our managing editor, Dave Cameron. In what follows, Cameron and I discuss the announcement of this afternoon that Joey Votto is working on an extension with the Cincinnati Reds. I invite Cameron to supply some comparisons to Votto's current situation to allow us perhaps to predict what sort of contract he might receive and also to speculate wildly as to what the exact numbers might be on Votto's contract. Also discussed on this episode of the podcast, the trade that sends now ex-teammate of Joey Votto, Juan Francisco, to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for relief pitcher J.J. Hoover, the Fangraphs organizational rankings, what they tell us and perhaps what they're incapable of telling us, and finally, what, if anything, Carlos Zambrano's spring training appearances and new ballpark might mean for that pitcher's performance in 2012. It's Fangraphs Audio. It's our managing editor, Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. being reported that uh, Joey Votto, who is very good at baseball, um, may or may not be nearing an extension with the Reds. There, there's no um, terms being reported. Um, and so I'm going to submit that we we talk about it, but maybe we'll table it for the time being. Uh, um, A, because we might get something closer to terms by the end of our recording here. And then uh, uh, B, and probably most importantly, is because um, Juan Francisco, uh, um, form, uh, formerly now uh, Joey Votto's teammate in the Cincinnati Reds, was traded, I guess, uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday morning, maybe? Saturday night? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I could tell that you're keeping up. You're keeping up with, the, with these events as they unfold. Uh, well, I, I, I'm wholeheartedly on board with any time you can talk about Juan Francisco instead of Joey Votto. That's a good call. So, yeah, I think that's good. Uh, I, will, I will admit to not like being as up on Juan Francisco as you are. Um, but, you know, I'm definitely game for talking about Juan Francisco because who doesn't love talking about Juan Francisco? Well, Juan Francisco, Juan Francisco is interesting because, um, because his approach is so very Francisco-y in – um, Juan Francisco does not, um, he likes swinging the bat. I think that's pretty clear. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but he has excellent power. Can we agree on that? Uh, yeah, he has what I think a lot of scouts refer to as, uh, game, not game power. So, like, he's got 80 power, but it doesn't, his, his, the rest of his skills don't allow it to translate on the field in competition. Right. So he has raw power. And we do, we have seen glimpses of it. I think, um, in fact, I think it was last year he ended up with one of the top five l- longest home runs of the season because, yeah. uh, and it might have something to do with like a, uh, like a Kyle Loesch fastball too. I don't know. Right. I mean, there's definitely times when he hits a baseball a very, very long ways. I mean, it's kind of like an infield version of Willie Mopena where you see him at the ball and you're like, holy moly, I can't believe he can do that. And then he goes over 50. Right. Now, um, he goes to, he goes to Atlanta, um, for, for relief pitcher JJ Hoover. And I guess, I guess like in terms of needs, it's pretty clear what's happening right here. Um, and I'll, I'll ask you to, um, develop the brief statement I make, but that is that uh, because Shipper Jones is injured to start the season, Juan Francisco uh, may or may not get some time at third base uh, or, you know, potentially a corner outfield. 
while uh, meanwhile JJ Hoover goes to a Reds team that has recently lost Ryan Madsen for the season. Is that accurate? And what am I leaving out? Well, I mean, I think it's basically my depth piece for your depth piece. So the the Reds decided that uh, Juan Francisco uh, wasn't in their plans anymore. They've got you know some depth behind Scott Rowland with Todd Frazier, and um, you know they didn't necessarily need to carry Francisco. And you know he showed up to camp, so I think 180 pounds overweight, which couldn't have endeared him to the organization. Uh, and Hoover is basically just a middle relief depth arm, and nothing wrong with having a guy like that in the organization, but he's not a you know, a closer in the making. He's not a top prospect of any note. So um, this is basically like, hey, I'll give you uh, my third baseman, semi-third baseman that I don't really need for that middle reliever that might be useful to my team. And the Braves are looking at it and saying, hey, look, if we get a guy who can hit the ball over the wall occasionally um, and give us a little bit of a stopgap, you know, you can come up and play occasionally when chippers hurt. It's, it's uh, worth a middle relief prospect for that. Do we know What do we know about J.J. Hoover? Uh, generic you know, minor league relief guy, uh, gets a decent amount of strikeouts, uh, doesn't have the world's best command, um, stuff is okay, there's no dominant out pitch where you can really project him as a ninth inning guy, uh, it's probably gonna settle in as like a seventh inning, seventh inning reliever. Your typical minor league fungible, uh, relief arm. Mike, is he like Michael Stutes? Uh, uh, maybe not like, not quite that good. Not like, as, uh, not as good know. as Michael Stutes. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with Hoover. You, you wouldn't, like, uh, hate to hand him the ball in the sixth inning of a game, but, you know, there's 1,700 Hoovers in the world. Okay. Yeah, which actually is also, uh, at least for some time, was um, a widely accepted uh, synonym for vacuum cleaner. <laughs> True. I guess there's <laughs> way more than 1,700 Hoovers if we're no longer. Yeah. Think about it, baseball sense. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, good to know. Yeah, and of course I I like Juan Francisco, but I think it's also I, again I think it has a lot more to do with um, entertainment value relative to skill. Right. Um, You're an aesthetics guy, and and occasionally Francisco can be entertaining, but he's not good. Yeah, he's one of the players. I think just because he does swing as hard as he possibly can every time, um, he's I, he could be entertaining even while striking out because he plays he plays with. Um, he plays without abandon entirely, or he plays with abandon. He plays with abandon, yeah. um, and uh, that's fun. I guess that's fun to watch. I guess if if he plays for your team, it's different. If you're a Braves fan, it's different. I think these guys become infuriating very quickly. So uh, Francisco is like, you know, Jose Lopez with way more power. And I will tell you that the Jose Lopez experience was miserable. Like these guys with these glaring flaws in their game that just refuse to fix it and seemingly don't work very hard. I mean, we don't know what Francisco's work ethic is, but the fact that he showed up to camp so overweight and is a terrible defender doesn't uh, suggest that he's working hard on his craft in the offseason. And uh, so I think when you see these guys who have some physical skills who are basically uh, underperforming what they could be, they're just infuriating to watch on a daily basis. What do you think about um, as a um, maybe as a, s- a slightly strange um, comp for for Juan Francisco, um, Mark Trumbo actually? Well, I think Trumbo's significantly more skilled. Uh, you know, both of them have crazy good power, but Trumbo's contact rates are better. Um, he doesn't walk a lot, but I think people underestimate the ability of Trumbo to hit a pitch out of the strike zone with authority. Francisco swings and misses the pitches that are out of the zone. Trumbo actually gets the bat on the ball. And so uh, I think the combination of contact and power, even though Trumbo is too aggressive and doesn't walk enough, will allow Trumbo to be an above-average hitter, where I think Francisco just has uh, 
holes where pitchers can pitch to him and get him get himself out. Um, so Trumbo might not ever be like a super high on base guy, but he can at least be a productive, useful player. Whereas I think Francisco is uh, basically replacement level. All right. Well, that, that's that. Uh, now, uh, continuing to monitor uh, Joey Votto knows it mostly it's the same thing that went up before. Uh, yeah, I think Ken Rosenthal has said that he has no confirmation, but he's hearing that a Brandon Phillips deal is unlikely, and the money that they were going to give to Votto uh, or to Phillips could go to to Votto. Yeah. Um, and uh, Votto, Heyman just said that Votto confirmed to John Heyman, who's a uh, Reds beat reporter. John Fay. John Fay. John Heyman. John. Oh, John Fay. John Fay. Yeah. Okay. So his last name is not Heyman. Ah, that's good to know. Because Heyman and Feynman, that's just way too close. That would be right. And Heyman retweeting Feynman is is super uh, confusing. But, yeah, it sounds like they're now confirming the deal. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll continue to think. Now, the baseball season starts soon. Um, I don't know if you noticed that at all. These are kind of the most excruciating three days, uh, perhaps, of the entire offseason, or two days, however you want to describe it, because – we're waiting for baseball to start, and it's it's there. But in the meantime, um, we have to deal with the fact that it's not. Uh, actually, one pitcher uh, who's throwing today, who's maybe of some interest, um, he'll, he'll be making his last spring training appearance on, today on Monday, uh, is Carlos Zambrano, who has had a, uh, a decidedly black and white spring training. I think his first three starts were excellent. He had you know like a he had like a 15 to three strikeout to walk ratio something in that and then he's he's been absolutely the opposite um since i'm curious um since we know that spring training stats have they represent something we know that they represent something more than zero um but we also know that especially veteran sort of players might be working on things Uh, i'm curious what your what your view is of zambrano who started off uh the spring quite well and and has been uh, less effective of late yeah, I remain somewhat skeptical of the value of spring training statistics. I know that we've run some articles on the site over the last few days showing correlations between changing strikeout rates in, the, in spring training and over the regular season. But I think, you know, what we have to remember is that uh, good players are good players and bad players are bad players. Even when the games don't count necessarily, uh, if you take a giant lump of guys, you're generally going to see that the good players are going to be better than the bad players. I mean, you know, anytime you get Albert Pools and Jose Batista and Joey Votto and Prince Fielder into a group, they're going to do better than a Willie Bloomquist and Juan Castro group. Uh, even if they're working on things and, you know, they're playing in minor league ballparks. And, um, so I think basically what we're just picking up on is, you know, these guys have more talent than other guys, but when looking at an individual guy, I'm still not sure we can say this spring training statistic for this guy means this thing. Um, and so for Zimbrano, I would say whatever you thought about him before March began, you should still think about him. I don't think you should have changed your opinion of Zimbrano all that much. Uh, to me, the interesting thing will be to see how he fits into the new Miami park, because we don't know how the park's going to play, and by all accounts, it's huge, and could turn out to be an extreme pitcher's park, like I've heard a few people suggest it might be Petco East. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, Zimbrano could actually end up doing quite well, even if he's not... Uh, a better pitcher than he was in Chicago, simply because moving from Wrigley to a park that is much more pitcher-friendly could, you know, have a significant positive effect on those numbers. Do, do we think that he would be, um, do you think he'd be roughly the same pitcher, though, sort of after the relevant adjustments? Uh, I mean, I think is clearly on the decline of his career, um, but he's one of those guys that's tough because he's not kind of a traditional pitcher. He's run lower than average, batting average on balls in play, 
throughout his career, but for no discernible reason. I mean, he's a, you know, a guy who's thrown hard, um, but he's lost his velocity, so it's not that we can say, okay, you know, he throws 99, and so he's just getting weak contact like a reliever. Uh, he's not a fly ball guy, really. Uh, he's not a, you know, a knuckleballer, so, we, you know, the normal reasons that a guy would hold down his Babbitt don't really apply to Zambrano. Um, so he's a little bit of a tough guy to project, and, uh, you know, I, I'll honestly just say I don't really know what to expect from him, especially when you factor in the personality disorder or uh, personality issues that come along with him. He's just kind of, he's kind of an enigma uh, across the board. Okay, turning uh, uh, briefly to um, the post we've been running the last, uh, I guess, week plus now, uh, the organizational rankings. Uh, I think we talked about this, maybe how we were going to be uh, deploying them, but now we're we're like precisely halfway through. I think the most recent one to go up um, as of uh, our recording is uh, the Chicago Cubs at number 14. And I'm curious, uh, for your to your mind, if if any of the the rankings have surprised you, or just generally to what degree you feel as though, um, you know, the way we the way you went about waiting or the way we waited. Um, you know the various components. You know if it if it produced results that you think, um, I guess, pass the the sniff test. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the reweighting of the system this year to give less emphasis on baseball operations uh, has maybe created um, a list that's more synergistic with what people expect. So I think the rankings are generally falling in line with conventional wisdom. We haven't seen anything really, uh, you know overly absurd <laughs> where people have said I can't believe this team is ranked here I mean, last year we had the Orioles at 16 and I just I can't even tell you what happened there hopefully nothing like that ever happens again because that was just not not the best um, and we haven't had anything like that quite this year so I, I think that the rankings are lining up with expectations a little more but I also wonder if that's like a good thing I mean you know if we're just telling people what they already think maybe this series is less interesting so uh, not that we want to you know do controversial rankings just for the sake of generating interest um, but you know I think if we're, at this point we're kind of ranking people on talent uh, for the 2012 and financial resources and then minor league system and baseball operations are a minor part of the calculation and they're still there but they're not uh, they're, they're smaller factors and, you know, I think most people kind of have a grasp on the fact that the Yankees have a lot of money and a good team, and the Pirates don't have a lot of money and don't have a good team. And so uh, I, I do think that, you know, we're kind of lining up with what people can see themselves. And, uh, you know, maybe in in future years people will look back and say, ah, uh, you know, this was an accurate uh, analysis at the time, but I'm not sure how much it told us. You know, it, um, one thing that, that was sort of interesting to me as I was writing the, the write-up for the Astros was – I suppose the, that this um, experiment, this project, makes explicit the degree to which present talent influences future talent. Because Correct. while writing up, you know, uh, while looking at the the 2012 outlook, and then looking out the uh, the the look um, the outlook for 2013 plus uh, for the Astros, um, you know, you take the I guess the minor league system into account to some degree. Um, you know, to some degree, you take it the the spending power of ownership, but it also is uh, directly related to the talent that's on the team currently. And with a team like the Astros, um, regardless of, of what we think of the uh, the front office, which I think we can generally say has improved uh, with the installation of of Jeff Lonow as as general manager, um, they still don't really have any players right now. Right. I mean, I think there's definitely. Uh 
an interchange between those things where winning now can create revenues that can allow you to win in the future and, um, you know, people, players are more likely to resign with winning teams than they are uh, perennial losers. So there's definitely a, uh, a synergy between those things where if you're good now, you're more likely to be good in the future than if you're bad now. Um, and so for a team like the Astros, you know, with a smart front office in place, we we can still only give them so much credit because uh, they're basically not going to be able to lure any free agents to Houston you know, this winter certainly they're gonna they're gonna lose you know ninety five, a hundred, maybe even one hundred and five games this year. Uh, even if they decided to start throwing a lot of money around, they're not gonna get premium guys to go there until they're good again. Uh, and then you know, even if they do decide to throw money around, that means they're overspending and not likely to get return on their investment. And so it's a little bit of a trap of where you have to win before you can be uh, a real contender for bringing in premium players. But in order to win, you kind of need premium players. So. Um, it's it's tough for a team in a position with not a lot of present talent. They've got a long uphill hill to climb, and especially with the Astros moving to the American League, where they're going to be in a division with Texas and Anaheim. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be too bright over the next few years. Right. And now I noticed that uh, you also commented with regard to the Chicago, uh, Chicago Cubs, uh, written up by Bradley Woodrum. Cubs ranked 14th. You said this is going to be the lowest ranking they'll have for a while. You want uh, maybe talk about that briefly? Well, I think, you know, the Cubs have massive financial resources. Uh, they're, they're in a position where they can really uh, turn themselves into a powerhouse in that division. There are no other big market teams in their division. I mean, they're, they're going up in St. Louis and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and um, Milwaukee. I mean, they've got the chance to really dominate in the division almost like no one else in baseball just because of the market size and then they're, the market size of their relative competitors. But they've wasted that for the last you know, 20 years, basically, I mean, even longer, but especially in the last 20 years, just really poor spending, poor roster building, uh, just bad decisions left and right. And so, you know, with Steve Epstein and bringing in a new way of thinking and the Ricketts kind of bringing in more analytical processes, I, I think we're going to see them be significantly more efficient with their payroll. And, um, you know, once they start winning and they start running $150 million payrolls, $175 million payrolls, and they're running them efficiently and they're investing in the draft and they're, um, you know, kind of, putting an organization in place that can take advantage of those resources, it's hard to see how any other team in, in that division can be able to keep up. I mean, they're probably going to be able to run payrolls, you know, twice as high as their nearest divisional competitor. And, uh, you know, I think that that's going to give them an inherited advantage that is going to be very tough for any other team to, to beat. And we can see the Cubs, you know, once they're on track and have their talent base in place, basically being a perennial playoff contender for the foreseeable future. Okay, uh, and actually moving moving within the um, NL Central, which uh, everyone recognizes as the most scintillating of, of divisions, we uh, we return to the Joey Votto situation. Uh, there's nothing um, to report uh, on this podcast, which will be, I mean, it's a podcast, so it's not live anyway, but um, we do have at least confirmation um, from Joey Votto uh, via John Fay of the Cincinnati Inquirer that an extension is is uh, approaching or is coming close. Joey Votto is very good. He's been an MVP. Uh, I think he's been, you know, about a seven-war player each of the last two seasons. And, you know, he's roughly in the prime of his career. Um, I'm curious, you know, uh, Cameron, what what can we expect from a Joey Votto extension? And this is a player, I think, who's maybe a couple years away from free agency anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's under contract for the next two years for a total of $46 million. So the Reds weren't necessarily in a position where they had to sign him right now, but I think they realized that if they didn't get him signed this winter, 
his price was going to go up astronomically next winter. I mean, if you look at the the price gap between extensions on guys with 40-plus years of service time and 5-plus years of service time, it's, it's pretty large. And especially with the Dodgers uh, probably being aggressive next winter, the Cubs, as we just talked about, are probably going to start throwing some money around in smart ways. Uh, I think that the you know Prince Fielder deal plus the Dodgers sale price has probably convinced the Reds that if they are going to get a deal done with Votto, they better get it done sooner than later. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he comes away with. I mean, you know, Miguel Cabrera basically has the largest extension ever for a player of this level of service time. Uh, that's two years away from free agency. He got eight years and 154 million when he was traded to the Tigers. But he was also 25 years old when that happened because Cabrera came up very early in his career, uh, and so they were buying out through his age 20 or 32 season. Um, Votto was going into his age 28 season, so you know, an eight-year deal would take him into his mid 30s. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to. Uh, surpassed Cabrera's deal. Cabrera's deal did happen four years ago, so there has been some price inflation since then, but, um, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to convince the Reds to give him uh, that 8-154 that Cabrera got, considering the age difference. Right, well, the, the, it's interesting what you mentioned here is this this idea of possible inflation and teams perhaps being ready to spend, because we have, uh, I think, in place... When we're trying to project the average annual value of a contract, right? Don't we generally use approximately five percent inflation? Right, and that's really pretty speculative. Uh, you know, over the last ten years or so, uh, it's been a little bit higher than that. Uh, over the last three years, it's been lower than that. Uh, obviously, the global economic shutdown or slowdown, anyway, uh, had an influence on Major League Baseball, um, but it didn't stop them from spending at all. So we've seen uh, price increases. Uh, over the last 15, 20 years of greater than 5%, but it also seems that those are maybe not sustainable. I mean, the minimum wage of players is not going up all that fast. And so if the price of premium players continues to go up and go up and go up, and the price of uh, cost-controlled players does not go up nearly as fast, then the value will switch and, and people will be able to get much more value at the low end of the spectrum. Okay. So so we have, uh, so we have Votto entering this situation where – as you mentioned, because of the Dodgers sale price, um, and and also maybe because a team like 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 the Cubs would be willing um, to participate, that that is, provides incentive uh, not only for for the Reds to lock up Votto right now, um, but it also means that it might sort of tug at at his price a little bit. Is that what you're suggesting? Uh, you know, it's I think it's just tough to say. Like uh, Prince Fielder got. 50 or $60 million more than I thought he was going to get. Um, and we know that first baseman and this type of hitter uh, generally get paid very well. Uh, you know, the Ryan Howard contract, uh, Adrian Gonzalez last year got 7 150 uh, a year away from free agency. So, you know, this kind of player gets $20 million a year. What we haven't really seen is this kind of player uh, getting a long-term deal two years away from free agency. I mean, uh, you know, Cabrera, as I, as I noted, was a lot younger when he got his extension. Um, Matt Kemp just got 8-160 a year away from free agency, but Kemp's also a center fielder and fast and, you know, maybe a guy that you could say is going to age a little bit better than a, than a first baseman. And so, um, you know, when you look at these comparable deals, it's just it's tough to exactly figure out the difference in the market value uh, from that fourth year to the fifth year for a power-hitting first baseman, because usually these guys don't sign until they're, you know, close to free agency or in free agency because they know they have this huge payday coming. So for Votto to sign a big, long-term deal now, 
it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the Reds were and able to and to get him locked up before uh, the Dodgers and the Cubs and these teams started bidding for him next winter. Now, do you think the fact that he's a handsome Italian gentleman will play at all into the contract negotiations? Uh, it's possible, um, especially if you know the uh, person doing negotiations for the Reds is a woman who likes pasta. But uh, you know, I don't think Walt Jockety, uh falls into that category, so I'm no. guessing probably not. Yeah, that'd be that'd be uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I just think in, I mean, he's a handsome Italian gentleman. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, I was not aware of that. Yeah. So, uh, well, Joey, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking know. at the last name there, Vado. All those uh, vowels, consonants. There's two two vowels. Well, relative, I mean, it's forty percent vowels though. You know, and it's, well, it's uh, a short. It's a short name. <laughs> you know, in any short name, you have to have some high percentage of vowels. Yeah, I know, but unless you're Russian, I guess. Right, or uh, or Welsh. Have you ever seen a Welsh name before? In fact, that's a country entirely ab- uh, devoid of vowels. You know, they don't uh, they don't care for them at all. Uh, uh, can, can you give me an example? No, I can't. The words are impronounceable. But if you if you <laughs> if you use Google Maps uh, and go and just look at Wales, uh, you'll notice that uh, there are a number of of towns that uh, it seems as though that maybe they utilize a W as a vowel. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know where that came from, but they just decided it was okay to do in Wales. Um, well, the U is a vowel, so maybe they just thought it was like two U's next to each other. Yeah, no, that's that's very possible that they that they thought that. Um, yeah. All right, uh, man, Joey Votto. God, he's good at he's a um, he's going to be good at baseball, I think, for a little bit. Uh, Probably. Uh, oh, um, oh no, oh yeah, I I don't know if you noticed, uh, Cameron. Um, uh, the, uh, Bradley Woodrum put up the video of us. Yes, from, I did notice from that. Arizona. Uh, how's your neck? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of self-touching going on there. I noticed. Yeah, it's uh, not safe for work. That that video. Yeah. Yeah, for a number of reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, oof, not a not a not a handsome group necessarily. Not not the most flattering, uh, uh, and it really like highlights just how disgusting that shirt you were wearing is. Yeah, it's interesting that you say something like that. On a well, it, was very, it looked like uh, it was possible that like a fly could fly right through it. Like yeah. there was no substance to that shirt whatsoever, and the video really captured the thinness I, of the shirt you were wearing. I just had, I like to hang loose, Cameron. That's how I, uh, apparently that's how yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a little creepy. I gotta I gotta be honest. Yeah, a little bit creepy maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and so um, the fact that he um, suggested it's day one, or that he you know that he that it seems like maybe there might be another video or two. Is that? Do you know anything about that? Uh, I've heard that there are more videos. I am. I am not looking forward to watching them. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. I might also encourage you uh, today at Knockcrafts uh, to look at Jeremy Blackman's post in which in which he asked the readership to to name all of the Astros if possible. It doesn't look like anyone's that, doing very well. That's quite. I, I think I could probably get. 15, maybe yeah. the bullpen would be a real challenge. Yeah, yeah, and there's also, they have that Rule 5 shortstop, who I think his name is like, it might be Marwin, M-A-R-W-I-N. Oh, the, the Marwin Rodriguez, the Rule 5 kid. Yeah, yeah, that was the one I was having trouble with, but uh, Marwin, Marwin Rodriguez, I'll, I'll make sure to make note of that on Blackman's post. Um, well, okay, so we didn't, uh, no conclusions regarding Joey Votto, but we do know that he's very good at baseball. Uh, and will likely he'll be doing f- fine uh, financially. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't sign for peanuts. Yeah, right. 
Uh, peanuts aren't really worth that much anyway. So Unless you're in Georgia. Then you can boil them and make a killing. Okay. All right. Hey, well, Dave Cameron, uh, the next time we talk uh, um, and record a podcast, actual baseball will have taken place. And that's not to ignore the fact that your Seattle Mariners play the <laughs> Oakland A's. Uh, oh, quite the shot there. No, I well, no, I didn't necessarily. in the AL West. I didn't necessarily mean it, mean it that way. But um, I will say that, for example, um, uh, there were not a lot of people utilizing offensive players uh, in the first couple of days of Fangraphs the game, simply because yeah, it was the, I, I, I think the third base pool was uh, perhaps the worst group of players I've ever seen at anything. What was it? <laughs> it was, uh, you could pick between Sean Figgins, Adam Rosales, Eric Sogard, Alex Liddy, who was certainly not going to play, uh, and there might have been one other disastrously bad well, Maybe Kyle that. Seeger? Was he an option? Oh, yes. Kyle Seeger was an option, but also not going to play. So you had two semi-talented prospects who are going to be on the bench, and then three terrible veterans who might get in the game. So who played third base? The uh, Was it Figgins both days? Uh, Figgins played third base. Uh, first day, and then Seager played the second day because Mike Carp got hurt. Oh, right, and Figgins moved to left field. And Figgins moved to left field. So uh, a Mike Carp injury led to Kyle Seager getting three at bats against Bartolo Colon, in which he did nothing. So uh, I believe right now in, in Fangraph's game, uh, the war leader is at zero. The guy who's winning, the the best third baseman, is he has like a 150 Wilba. Yeah, he drew a walk or something. Well, I think like uh, uh, Appleman was mentioning the other day that the 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 present constant right now for FIP, which yeah, is it's like one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's usually uh, it's, it was usually like between three and three point two or something, right? Yeah, I think uh, I noticed like Bartolo Colon has a has a FIP of like uh, two point oh five or something, and it's league average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, that's that's where we are right now. Yeah, that's what happens when you let the the A's, and uh, and and um, I will say also, Yuenes uh, Espedes looked exactly like Yuenes Espedes in the first two games. I mean, he wrapped himself in a bow and said, "This is what I am. I swing and miss, and I hit hanging sliders." I yeah. mean, he was uh, exactly as advertised. But I, I will question Major League Baseball of like. If you're trying to grow the game internationally, why would you send the two least interesting franchises in baseball to go play in front of other teams? I mean, like, if I was a Japanese fan and I saw that that was Major League Baseball, I'd be like, yeah, I'll keep NPB, thanks. Right. Well, I mean, the Mariners are a semi-obvious choice because of Ichiro, right? Yeah, all right. I mean, so there's the Ichiro factor, but, uh, I mean, just like the quality of I think they probably would have done better sending over the Yankees. Or, I mean, even if they don't have, you know, a star Japanese player, at least they're good. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the podcast. Well, we could talk about um, real baseball things uh, when we uh, reconvene on uh, next Monday. Sounds good. We're gonna have a daily chat. We're gonna have a what full day chat on Thursday. Thursday we'll have the all day opening day chat, and then we'll resume daily chats next week. So. Uh, yeah, lots of chatting going on on Figure That's excellent. That's excellent. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Dave Cameron. All right. All right. That's Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Fangraphs Audio.